Hi and welcome to Detox Talks the Detox a podcast where we talk to some of the world's finest leaders about their detox rituals and how they maintain continuity in a world of noise and chaos how they make sure that the criticism that the world puts on them doesn't affect their insight and they still continue to perform as well as they do thanks for tuning in this is Kunal Sundirmani and you are listening to Detox Talks the Detox with John O'Brien on the podcast John has a mixed portfolio of philanthropy. John is the managing partner at 100 Omnicon, multiple years in the military before he decided to join into business. Welcome to the podcast. It's a pleasure to have you on. Thank you, Kunal. Great to be here. John, so you were in the military for quite a while before you decided to uh, get into business. How was it? How did your journey uh, really take into action? Yeah, sure. Um, so my early life actually was that I I left school. I grew up in a very rural area of England. I left school. My parents were both in business, but they thought that rather than me going directly into the business straight after school, that I should go and get a, what they considered a proper job. So I actually spent Uh, about three years in a bank, but was a bit bored by that. So I then ended up going into the army. I attended the Royal Military Academy of Sandhurst, was commissioned, and spent ten years as an infantry officer serving all around the world. Those ten years were the ten years that shaped my approach to life. They introduced me to different people of different backgrounds. They taught me how to assess a problem and communicate. And so when I came out, which is actually approaching thirty years ago, so quite a while, it. very much set me up well for going into both the non-profit space and working with business then setting my own business up and then leading a big consortium of agencies so uh, the army was very much the, the grounding of my experience to go forward so army has a lot of lessons that it really imbibes into that really stay forward when you move out of the army anything as such that really stayed with you that Today, when you're going through a rough patch, given that business and entrepreneurship is full of a lot of them, that really helps you stay stable and stay focused and just stay sane. Yes. No, I understand. Well, well, I think there's two aspects to this. Firstly, obviously, when one is in a let's say a stressful, and not all stress is bad, but when one is in a stressful uh, situation in business, when one is coping with a lot of different activities going on, um, the thing that the army taught me was actually the technique. of how to uh, manage professionally those demands so in the first instance the thing that has really served me well was that the army gave me a process to assess a problem and as most people get stressed because of a problem then this is a technical professional skill has served me very well and and that that process as an infantry officer is ingrained into you in order that you can go into dangerous situations look at the complexity of lots of things going on very very quickly be clear about what you think needs to happen formulate a plan and then communicate that plan and lead people in a direction now what that meant for me was that actually i suppose throughout my professional career in the last 30 years there have been times when colleagues of mine and people around me have not had that process to absorb information and thereby have become very stressed by the chaos that they might have found or the ambiguous nature of things we were operating in whereas actually the mindset that the military gave me in that process allowed me to break it down and you know see through all the activity which meant that actually I didn't get particularly stressed out in the same way same time so 
So that's the first thing that the military gave me, was really a mechanism that stopped me getting into those stress states. But the second aspect, which um, which very much goes to your question, was that obviously there were times when there was great intensity. There was a particular situation where I ended up doing three operational tours over a period of 10 years. And during those periods of six months in very intense situations, one had to find a mental state that one could break away from the environment that one was operating in. Because, frankly, the level of intensity was so great that you couldn't remove yourself physically. But if you could remove yourself mentally from what was happening around you for a period of time, every day or every few days, then that would help keep you together. And actually, in those early days, this was a long time ago, um, I used to quite like to paint. And so even in these odd uh, situations, I had a very small pocket set of watercolour paints and I would actually be able to take an hour away or whatever and take those out. They'd fit in my pocket, take them out, take any piece of paper. Well, I used to have a little pad of paper, literally about the size of my hand. And with just one or two small brushes, I would just put myself into the zone of painting these little scraps of watercolours, uh, often not of where I was, but actually, because that often didn't allow it, it would be that I would be in a situation, for example, in bunkers and things like that, where I would find a magazine and I would paint what I saw in the picture of a magazine. Of course, there was no great quality to the painting itself. The great thing that it worked for me was that it allowed me to concentrate on something away from the situation that we were in. And it allowed me to, I suppose, nurture a sense that I was in another world looking at something else, detached from actually what was happening around me. So although in later life, the way in which I did that changed, and perhaps we can come on to talk about that, certainly in the army time, the army did those two things gave me a process to avoid being stressed, which has worked very well. And then secondly, I realised that I needed to have something as a bit of a di uh, distraction. I hope that's quite uh, to your answer, Kunal. So John, more on that. So I've come to believe that our entire life uh, is made up of a lot of moments, but it can be summarised into 12 to 14 core moments that really change everything and that really stay around. So any moments like these that really stay with you today and that whenever you do need to really look into or introspect that the moments really play back into your head, any such crucial moments in your life? Yes, I understand. So two things, really. I suppose when I was away for a great deal, and, and this actually translates into the world that we're in now. So when I was away in very stressful and dangerous situations in the military, but also, to be frank, when I came out, it meant that I spent a lot of time away from work. The one thing that I could always rely upon was the knowledge of where I came from. So, as I said, I grew up in a very rural area, very countryside, farming, uh, very green and lush. And indeed, that is where I now live. And although I was until a year ago before the pandemic commuting between London and then to New York and European offices, I lived in this county. When I was away for great lengths of time, if I ever felt that I was needed to escape in a way my own mind, then the place I would escape to was actually to think back to my home, to this countryside. And so they're not pivotal. There is one pivotal moment, which I'll come on to. That, in a sense, is not a pivotal memory. It's a very much deeper memory. And that memory is also evoked by a couple of pieces of music, which I now, of course, you know, we never had this before, but now with technology, I have those on my phone and I can put myself into that space and we can talk about that as well. But I think place has a huge 
part to play and being able to imagine yourself in a particular place, even if it's not a distinct particular moment in time. I think then the second aspect is, you know, and I'll be perfectly honest with you, I don't really share this because actually people don't ask me the question. But there is also, and it is quite a, a strange sense that I can evoke, which reminds me of another part of the country here in the United Kingdom, which is the other side of the country, but it takes me right back to where my wife and I spent our honeymoon. I don't think we've ever been back there, but I suppose that was a pivotal point in time. I was in the army at the time. We rushed our marriage because I was to be deployed off um, into another situation. So we got married before I went off. So it was about two weeks before I got deployed. And it was obviously a blissful period having married my sweetheart for several years. And even now today, I can imagine myself into that particular part of the countryside with that particular sense of feeling. And bearing in mind, this is over 32 years ago, and, and I can still conjure that up. So those are the two different perspectives I would have on that particular question, Canal. You're a fantastic storyteller. Well, <laughs> there's, there's stories that are my life, I suppose. So uh, it's very easy to retell something that's close to, to your own experience. So when you did take the shift into business from military, there is a certain amount of resistance that comes in. What was your method of dealing with that resistance and not letting it really affect you? So the first thing I should say is that actually the decision to leave the army was not my decision. So the most, one of the most stressful periods in my life was the fact that the Cold War, the friction with, and it seems ironic now that there is friction again, but the Cold War, which ended in the early 1990s, meant that the British Army cut its army down by almost 50,000 men. And so 50,000 of us were actually made redundant. I was a captain. I spent 10 years. I was destined to continue to carry on. Um, I had a good career path, but the army just needed to shrink and they didn't need me or, or all those other men any longer. And so I actually became quite stressed for a period of time because I had lost my identity. You know, it's a very proud thing to be a British army officer. Um, it, you know, we were living alongside other British army officers. We had a social life. Our friends were there. I had status in society. And suddenly that was all taken away from me. And I can recall thinking back that actually there was a point in time where I spoke to a friend of mine who had come out of the army of his own volition some years before. And I needed to hear from him that I could be confident about going forward and doing other things. But I then realized I had to sort of in, in old language, sort of pull myself together and realize that the mission that I had now, I mean, I've spent 10 years looking at military missions, but the mission that I now had was to understand the world I was going into and reinvent myself and my role in that world. But that was a particularly stressful situation. The tension that you described there was because I didn't, it wasn't a decision I made. What happened then was that I then just simply looked to apply the knowledge I had, which as I say, was about problem solving and being able to communicate and lead. And that's a me very well and I, I went into um, firstly into a university to run an institute there um, then went to work for a city council for a few years and then went to work for the Prince of Wales and spent a long time working with business on their uh, responsibilities in the world and found you know a new sense of purpose which I have written about a lot and talk about a lot and that purpose was to have a positive impact through business but you know the stressful time was a case of me almost drawing on my military thinking right okay this is the situation I'm in I now have to reinvent myself this is my mission this is how I go forward and uh 
And then, of course, all these other military traits, as, as I've described, have served me well in the different jobs that I've had, both working for the Prince of Wales, then creating my own business, and now running a very large uh, organization. In your journey after the military, when taking the shift during that pivotal moment, what's your core memory of that pivotal moment? Yeah, I mean, I think, well, I think once I got beyond the, the distress of having lost what I thought was my purpose in life. Uh, it turned into, I suppose, an excitement and a desire to prove myself again. So you can imagine that obviously going through the various tests and things in the military, you're, you're constantly sort of being tested, both in training and in operations. But you get to a point where you've proven yourself, you know, I had, a, I had my medals and things like that. But this was a new world. So I got excited about the fact that I could learn new things. So I, I you know, I, I took a few courses, and I tried to educate myself in various things and throw myself into those new roles with great excitement and gusto. And the, the next big pivotal period was the 10 years I spent working for the Prince of Wales. And then he also asked me to be a special representative for another seven years after that. But the 10 years that I was working for him certainly were not without stress. I, I had a particularly stressful period of time at one point for various reasons, and that was an education in its own right, which I would never wish to repeat, and I'm happy to share what happened then. But like all things in life, you, you have to learn from them and you have to move on from them. And uh, that has also served me well in the last 40 odd years that I've been working in various roles. Well, I mean, firstly, obviously working for the Prince of Wales, Prince Charles, it was an extraordinary privilege, and uh, I got to travel with him and organize some of the visits. I, I went and launched projects in different parts of the world, did a great many things, helping him push forward his agenda on having a positive thing, positive impact in the world, and getting others and business and people to have a positive impact in the world. And there was a situation, though. Uh, probably about five years into that role where, or four or five years into that role where, unfortunately, some of the people, well, there was one particular person working at one of my teams who did not have the same principles, values, ethics that the rest of us had. And through her incredibly destructive um, activities, so essentially what she did was she started writing anonymous letters accusing different people of different things. And to the extent that in the end, we had to go to the police to launch an investigation to find out who was doing this. But what I found was that that put me under enormous stress, simply because I realised that we knew it was somebody in a team and it was a close-knit team. And I found it unfathomable that somebody who you know could do such uh, evil things could sort of work amongst us and all the rest of it. And I suppose I'd never had a situation like that where such poison could be poured into what would have been a very uh, effective, positive and, you know, um, well-meaning initiative. And it caused me great strain to the extent that, you know, at a certain point I had to go and get some medical assistance, you know, to try and cope with that. But what it taught me was that actually three things had happened. The first was that there was the concern that the letters that this woman was writing to both myself, to other members of the team, were getting in the way of us doing our job properly. So that was a real issue because we had a sort of performance-related strain on, on what we were doing. And obviously that can come from various different things, but that in itself is a stress. So that was the first thing. The second thing was that other members of the team who'd been in receipt of these letters were 
getting incredibly stressed, very upset. You know, some of them will, you know, didn't want to come into work. You know, I was deeply concerned about them because I knew they were good people. They didn't deserve what was going on. You know, it was very stressful for them. So I was taking a burden of leadership as you do as a leader to try and support them. And then the third element was that then this particular person not only wrote to staff members, but also wrote poisonous letters to some of our spouses. So one of those arrived at my home, which meant that not only was it impacting work, but it also started to impact on my personal home life. Um, I think the combination of those layers, I I kept up a fantastically um, strong front. So you know, in terms of the performance issues, I carried the performance forward. I was seen to be managing it well by my bosses, etc. So I thought that was fine. Um, in terms of the leadership of the other individuals being strained, I was always optimistic, trying to be encouraging, trying to be the person that was the example of how to cope with it. So, you know, they thought that I was doing a fantastic job. And, you know, to my wife, you know, family, I kept putting a brave face on it, you know, to coin that phrase. And they thought, oh, John's coping with this really well, blah, blah. But I was doing that for their benefit. So I was basically holding up everybody else's pose morale and everybody else's feeling from my managers to my team members to my family, with everybody thinking, well, you know, John's doing this tremendously well, but actually it was just too much of a burden for me. And um, and I'm afraid, you know, it got to the point where I could no longer function in the way that I would normally choose to do so. So, you know, I did take, you know, I did take some medical help I also thought very very hard and got some listening therapy for want of a better phrase to try and get me through that but I learned an enormous amount through that process I would never wish it on anybody and I wouldn't want to go through it again I mean people who say that I think haven't had it tough enough but certainly you learn from these things and there is no way in the world that I would ever get affected by anything like that again I think um, the, the other thing which I would say is that particularly through the military, and this was, you know, obviously a long time ago, there wasn't much emphasis around mental health. It was all about physical health. And I think that actually it was ironic that through all the stress and stuff that I'd had in the military, I'd never had a mental health issue. But then when I got into the business world, I ended up having a mental health issue. And that just shows that previously my attitude to people in that way might have been, I mean, obviously would have been ill-informed, but I might have had that old adage of sort of, oh, come on, you know, get a grip, pull yourself together. But when I found myself in that complex situation, um, I was unable to pull myself together or get a grip. I needed other help. I needed other people to help me do that. So I know that I'm more mentally robust now as a result of that experience, but it was not at all an easy one. I I hope that gives you a sort of bit of an insight, Canal. Again, you're a fantastic storyteller. Well, I think that if other people can learn, you know, I mean, it's, some of these things aren't necessarily always easy to talk about, but I think if you can share experience, I, I try not to share advice. I try to share experience and then people can form their own opinions about whether or not that experience helped inform their own decisions. That, that's my approach to these things. I love that. I think that really gives everyone the space to think that this is how I interpreted what happened to me. You're free to interpret it the way you feel, but yeah, this is my wisdom, how it worked for me. That need not it work for you. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's the same with business. So I get asked a lot, you know, people kind of say, oh, how do you do this? How do you do that? How do you do this? And what they're, they're asking you is a lot of people jump in and say, or people will come and say, I've got this problem. I'm not quite sure how I reach my customers or whatever. And instantly people jump and say, oh, you should do X, Y, Z. You know, well, I'm afraid there's no way that you're going to know the complexity of that person's business need or that person's business environment in just a, a simple conversation in that way. So, of course, obviously, professionally, 
I do this with my teams. You know, some of the biggest businesses in the world come in and they ask us challenges around communications and things of that kind. But we take time to absorb the information, understand their business, understand what they're operating in, then come up with advice. But when it's, you know, these sorts of social media platforms and things of that kind, I think you have to be very, very wary. You can only talk from your own experience and share the truth of what went well and what failed. That's my view. Very well put again. So moving towards the rapid fire round, these are a couple of quick questions. Try to answer them in five seconds or less. Okay. Apple or Android? Apple. You wake up in 2030, what's the first thing you Google? <laughs> Where my family is probably. You wake up in 2050, what's the first thing you do? Actually, look out and see a blue sky. I mean, I have no sense of whether or not the planet's going to be in the same state. Yeah. So, blue sky, green fields, are they still there? Your favourite destination? Oh, yeah. Favourite destination would actually be coming home. Your favourite thing to do? Probably walking, actually. Your favourite artist? There's too much in terms of the visual art, but the art that really moves me is the music and, 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 and works and art of Vaughan Williams, the composer, Russell Williams. Netflix or Amazon Prime? Uh, Netflix. Netflix or Disney Plus? Uh, Netflix. Netflix or Extra Sleep? Extra Sleep. Your favourite movie? Lawrence of Arabia. Favourite band? Uh, Roxy Music. Your favourite singer? Brian Ferry. Your favourite actor? David Niven. Lovely, this is so much fun. Thank you for taking out time and thanks for coming on the podcast. Kunal, it's been an absolute pleasure. Sean has a new book out there. So make sure you go and check it out. Called Truth Be Told. And it's about putting the human truth into your communications in order to win in the purposeful age. Thank you for that. You just heard an episode on the Detox Podcast. Do not forget to subscribe on your favorite streaming platform, whether it is Spotify or iTunes. We are there.